Tonight on the Fanatic Forum, we've got a lot to talk about here. It's the last ride with the Guardians of the Galaxy, but was it a good one? We'll discuss it. Plus, we've got free comics, new comics, and some new loot as well. And we're going to get to all of that right after this. show today here because uh, we finally get to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I've been wanting to talk about this for a week or so, uh, so I'm excited to talk about that. Plus, we've got free comics from Free Comic Book Day, uh, new comics this week, plus a little bit of patriotic loot here, so all kinds of fun stuff on the forum here, so can't wait for that. Uh, but yeah, just of course, uh, we will talk about our comics first, and then we'll do our uh, little uh, message from Comic Books for Kids. And then we'll get to Guardians of the Galaxy. So we, you know, you can save this first half of the show. Go watch Guardians if you haven't seen it yet, and then we'll come back and we'll we'll talk about it because we're going to spoil the heck out of this one here. <laughs> so hope everybody's doing all right out there. And I see Dave Mattingly chiming in already. Good evening, fanatics. Good evening to you, sir. And oh, I love you guys. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're going to get to that and all and more, Dave. <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, of course, uh, Free Comic Book Day was last week around the country. You know, of course, around here there was, you know, in the Louisville area, there was this horse race, you know, the greatest two minutes in sports, whatever else. Even though it's always funny when somebody says the fastest two minutes in sports. Like, how can it... How? That doesn't make sense. So, greatest two minutes in sports... Uh, the Kentucky Derby was last weekend, but around the country, and frankly to all the geeks around the world, it was Free Comic Book Day. So there was lots of good stuff to be had. Clara um, uh, Comics uh, had quite a stack and good crowd as well, both at our Elizabethtown and Shepherdsville stores. Because, uh, of course, if you guys don't know already, I do work at the Elizabethtown store. So uh, I'm the, uh, what they call me now, I'm the uh, digital sales consultant or, well, I don't know. Anyway, I'm doing the online sales. So there you go. Uh, but anyway, so we had uh, basically tons of free books, and we've got five books each, uh, each person. So, of course, I got to play by the rules myself here. And I got my five free books. So uh, two of the big books uh, this week. First off, the uh, Spider-Man Venom uh, book here, kind of a preview of what's coming in the new, uh, basically the current Spider-Man books uh, and in the current Venom book. Also, we got a preview for what I'm very excited about, uh, coming from Jonathan Hickman and Brian Hitch, Ultimate Invasion. The Ultimate Universe is returning. Uh, basically, uh, the maker, the evil Reed Richards, wants to bring this universe back uh, into existence because it's been wiped from existence. The only people who survived it were the Maker and Miles Morales. Uh, so 
The maker wants to recruit Miles on this quest, and Miles is a little reluctant, but he may be pulled along whether he wants to or not. So that's coming up this summer. Looking very forward to that. Uh, the other big Marvel book here uh, was the Uncanny Avengers. So we kind of see what's coming up with Avengers, with X-Men, because X-Men got a whole bunch of stuff coming up in the summer, in the fall, with the Fall of X storyline. Uh, but the Uncanny Avengers are coming back because apparently the X-Men and the Avengers kind of need each other again, especially, you know, the X-Men. Uh, but there's another preview uh, for an upcoming story uh, that, uh, let's see here if it gives a creative team on here. Um, oh, yeah, another Hickman story here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, basically a series called Gods um, had Doctor Strange in it and some you know mysterious characters. So I'm not sure what that's all about, but uh, the art looked great. Uh, I think it was uh, Valerio Shidi was uh, the uh, artist on it. So... Uh, yeah, just looked really cool, but kind of maybe some magic stuff going on. I don't know, but something kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of uh, interesting there. So, uh, Dave chiming in, we were talking about the ultimate invasion, saying the evil Reed is a piece of work. Yeah, the maker is a really, really good villain, but he is, he, he is a, a, a bastard, uh, as they say. Uh, yeah, he's, he's bad. <laughs> uh, let's see. Next one, I couldn't pass this one up here. Uh, last year's uh, biography comic was the uh, I Am Jack, which is basically all about Jack Kirby. And so that same uh, artist, I don't know if he, oh yeah, Tom Scully, uh, that same artist uh, did a new biography comic on Stan Lee. So this is basically just a preview of it. There's a lot more to come. There's a much larger volume, but this is kind of like a preview of Stan's uh, story here. But we kind of get the early years, the formative years of Marvel, uh, kind of a little bit of a taste of his relationship with Jack Kirby, with uh, Steve Ditko, uh, and uh, it is definitely a warts and all kind of story here. This isn't just pro-Stan Lee, it's about Stan, but, you know, it does show kind of, you know, some of the real uh, bit of their relationships they had, especially when things started getting a little more successful. Uh, but yeah, so, but great art in here, uh, and just some interesting stuff there. So yeah, interesting pickup there, couldn't pass that one up. Of course, DC has got their big one here. Uh, they got their big Dawn of DC initiative going on, so they're doing a lot of relaunches. Uh, last week saw the new Green Arrow book. This week is Green Lantern. We'll talk about it. Uh, of course, next week, I think we've got a new Titans book. A uh, bunch of other stuff coming out. So, yeah, DC's got a lot of big weeks coming up here. Uh, but this is their big upcoming event called Night Terrors, which basically uh, the plot of this essentially is... Uh, someone or something, we don't know quite just yet, uh, has apparently got a hold of every DC hero and some of the villains, apparently, and is making them go through their worst nightmares. Uh, so we get a quick preview of kind of a little bit what's going on here, a little bit from Damien's perspective. Uh, and then mostly this book serves as kind of like showing some of the designs for some of the nightmarish characters we're going to be seeing coming up. Uh, and basically, there's kind of like a main storyline going on, and then apparently there's like one-shots for every DC title, or maybe even like two issues uh, for some of those series. But they give you a nice checklist back in here, too. So basically, lots of big stuff coming up for DC fans. A lot of books you're going to be purchasing. <laughs> uh, and then I couldn't pass up a good Jeff Lemire, uh, Fish Flies. Uh, he's got an upcoming six-issue series uh, for Image Comics. Uh, Jeff's getting into the creepy stuff again here. But he's doing the art and the writing for this here. Uh, but yeah, don't want to say too much about this, but 
real creepy stuff here. But yeah, so if you are not a big fan of bugs and insects and you think they're completely disgusting and whatnot, you might want to stay away from this. Or if you want something to really creep you out, check it out. <laughs> Either way, yeah. Lots of cool stuff there, but there were tons of other books. Uh, there was like, you had Star Trek, you had some uh, Dark Horse, uh, Star Wars High Republic adventures coming out. Uh, there was a Ninja Turtles book, Garbage Pill Kids and Mad Balls. Yes, they're back, and they're back big. <laughs> I've got preteens and teenagers coming in the shop asking me about Garbage Pill Kids, and I'm like, how do you know about this stuff? I mean, it's, it's, I'm not trying to be a gatekeeper or anything. I'm excited they know about it, but I'm just, completely puzzled how a you know a franchise that has been well for the most part kind of dead for you know almost last 20 some odd years plus even more than that maybe even close to 30 years uh but yeah i mean they're back into it the comics are bringing them back the cards are coming back kids want the vintage cards now it's fascinating i love it you know you know bring it on <laughs> but yeah nonetheless there's garbage pail kids and mad balls uh comics available uh, trying to think what else. The Smurfs, they had a 65th anniversary book. Uh, so all kinds of cool stuff there. Uh, Power Rangers Academy. Yeah, all sorts of things. And of course, there were a few other selections that for, you know, for uh, mature readers, I'm not talking about like, you know, you know, dirty stuff. I'm just talking about, you know, stuff that's not for kids. So there was an Umbrella Academy book. There's a couple of their indie books there. So yeah, stuff is not for the little stuff. You're, you're 17 on up. But that's the fun thing about Free Comic Book Day. Uh, they color code the books there so you know like green is for everybody. Uh, that's even safe for little kids. Blue is basically for kind of like preteen, teenagers on up. And then the red's basically for like 17 on up. And so like I said, you know, it's nothing, you know, too terribly explicit or whatnot, but just something maybe a little bloody, maybe horror stuff, you know, just maybe just you know, mature. They couldn't even understand what the content is, but that's what that's all about. But just like I said, some great color coding. So all the comic shops around the country participated. So you can probably go to your local comic book store now and they still may have some issues left. So check them out and there you go. I might get some free stuff, turn on some new things there. So, uh, but we had a lot of good selections for this week uh, for new comics here. Uh, I have uh, several independents here, and then, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, Dave. The Smiths, uh, the, Sm the Smiths, the Smurfs, 65th anniversary. Uh, yeah, so it was, uh, it was neat. Kind of like a nice little, uh, you know, thumbing out through the years of just little comic strips and whatnot. So, yeah, pretty cool. But, yeah, Smurfs have been around that long. So they, they started out as, I guess, comic strips and then later became the cartoon and whatnot. But, yeah, been around for a very long time. Anyway, so back to the new stuff here. So I've got uh, three independent selections here and then uh, one each for Marvel and DC. But starting with Marvel here, we got to go Amazing Spider-Man issue 25. Now, this issue does see a lot of variants. Uh, the uh, Disney variants that Marvel's been running throughout Spider-Man where you get uh, Disney characters, to, uh, you know, Recreating uh, uh, you know famous comic book covers and whatnot. We've had like Avengers number one, uh, Fantastic Four number one, the Hulk, uh, New Avengers. Uh, we've got a Captain Marvel uh, homage coming up, an Iron Man homage coming up. So all kinds of stuff. But anyway, so it's a lot of fun get recreating uh, you know different you know scenes with all these Disney characters. We had Goofy as the Hulk. That was good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anywho, so but this is the A cover here. Uh, but the storyline that's been going on currently since issue 21 uh, has basically been that uh, there was some sort of like godlike creature 
going after Peter Parker, saying he needed him for some sort of ceremony, whatever else. So he and Mary Jane, uh, and even a little help from Norman Osborn, have been trying to stop this thing. They end up finding the dimension it comes from. They go over there. Uh, essentially, it's kind of a situation where they got to get out of there, but only one of them can go. Peter's going to let Mary Jane go home, but Mary's like, no, this thing's hunting you. Get out of here. And she basically pushes him through, and you know, Mary Jane's stuck on the other side while Peter gets to go home. So Peter, of course, is in our time, tries to get back to her as quickly as we can. When he finds her, gets back to her in issue 24, a lot more time has passed than what Peter thinks. Thing times works, you know, apparently time works differently in that realm. And so this issue 25, we find out whatever happened to Mary Jane. So, yeah, a very interesting book here. Almost heartbreaking at times when you get to the end. Um, apparently the next issue 26, Zeb Wells has said, uh, who's currently writing the book right now, Zeb Wells has said on his social media that Marvel has instructed him to stay away from conventions after issue 26. So there's a lot of speculation of what's going on, but yeah, we might be losing somebody. So we'll see here, but yeah, we may be, <laughs> Zeb Wells may be igniting some comic fans out there. So uh, but I said, there's a lot of speculation. I have my theories as well, but I think it's pretty obvious what's going to happen here. But anyway, so a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, over at DC, like I said, we've got a Green Lantern number one coming at us. Uh, Jeremy Adams is the uh, writer, and Hermonico does the art. The art is beautiful. Love it. Um, it's starting off, you know, it's good. It basically, it's kind of kicking off from the last Green Lantern series, where um, essentially Sector 2814 has been kind of put under some kind of, like, quarantine double secret probation I don't know basically but uh, the Guardians are no longer around there's a new kind of uh, regime in charge kind of a council so to speak that runs the whole galaxy so they're running the lanterns and they basically are saying uh, yeah we're not going to worry about Earth right now because it's caused a lot of trouble it is the cause of a lot of trouble and they've got plenty of other things to protect it so guess what you know we don't need you know, to worry about that. And the all the Earthbound Guardians, John Stewart, Hal Jordan, Kyle Rayner, the list, you know, Jessica Cruz, the list goes on and on. Uh, a lot of them had a very strong, you know, debate to this. And so decided, you know what? Uh, we're still going to be Lanterns. We still have our powers, but we're done working for this council. So we're just going to stay on Earth. See you later. So everybody's grounded on Earth right now. Uh, like I said, they still have their rings, but they're not quite Green Lanterns. Uh, so you got the main story with Hal here and a backup story with Jon Stewart. Um, I kind of wish they were pointing to something a little bigger, but there's some hints possibly of some things going on here. So, uh, you know, we get a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of returning faces uh, from uh, our series that we some people we haven't seen in a while, like Carol Fenris, haven't seen her in a bit. Uh, but, yeah, so... Kind of, you know, I'm still going to stick with it, but I'm kind of hoping things pick up a little bit more. So, we shall see. Uh, next up for independent stuff here from uh, American Mythology Productions. I have absolutely been loving this Night of the Living Dead revanche series. This is issue three. 
Uh, of course, we get you know all these great photo covers here. It is very infamous. The young girl who uh, becomes zombified and turns on her mother. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I've absolutely been loving this series. I'm a big fan of Night of the Living Dead. This is essentially a retelling of Night of the Living Dead, but it also kind of fills in the cracks uh, of the story a little bit more. Kind of gets a little bit, uh, a little bit of history with our characters. Kind of shows them maybe you know an hour, or a few minutes before they all show up at the farmhouse in their own ways. Uh, so yeah, you get kind of a little more filling out of the characters here. Uh, you actually see the owners of the farmhouse and kind of what happens to them, uh, what brought them to their state. We see them in once everybody kind of arrives, uh, especially you know Ben and Barbara and whatever else. So yeah, just. A fantastic series here. So I think issue four may be the last issue, or maybe it's a five-issue series. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but anyway, love it, love it, love it. Can't recommend this book enough, especially if you're not a Living Dead fan. Yeah, at first I thought it was going to be kind of like a, you know, a side story or whatever else, but then initially, you know, when I first started reading the first issue... But then it became very clear, like, this is still Night of the Living Dead, but we're kind of giving you, it's almost like this is a director's cut. You're getting, you know, maybe, you know, a half hour to possibly an hour's worth more footage. So, yeah. So, excellent, excellent stuff here. Uh, Dave Manningly has a comment saying uh, about the Green Lanterns. Now they're just green flashlights. Like I said, they still have their powers. They still do their thing. But, yeah, they're not space cops anymore. They have to stay on Earth. So, you know, if you, it's like if you're gonna, you know, not join us, you've got to stay on Earth and you can't leave. You can't be, you can be a lantern on Earth. You can't be a lantern anywhere else. So they're all grounded. Like you know, they've been bad. <laughs> all right. Next up here, we've got a new book here from uh, Image Comics, something epic uh, from Simon Kudarowski, and this is a very interesting book here. Um, I'm not 100% sure what's going on, whether this is a an autobiographical tale about a person who, you know, is trying to understand, growing up, trying to understand how they themselves can be a creator, be an artist, and understand the creative process and how to deal with it in a healthy way or how to, you know, understand maybe the things they come up with, the things they see, that sort of thing. Or we have a child that has reality manipulating abilities and can see things that other people can't see and create things that people can't see, but only he can see. And yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on here. So <laughs> anyway, a very interesting book. Uh, Simon Kudarowski handles, he does double duty here, both the art and the writing. Uh, but yeah, very interesting book. I'll want to see what happens next here. So that, that's a good sign. Uh, but yeah, I'm very, like I said, I'm just a little puzzled. Like, is this kind of an autobiography sort of thing? Or is like this kid like a little Franklin Richards sort of thing here? So yeah, I am intrigued nonetheless. Uh, of course, there's a lot of fun variant covers. Uh, there's a, uh, a Terminator 2 homage cover. Uh, there's like a couple like video game homage covers. And then apparently there's like a super duper uh, rare uh, Howard the Duck movie poster homage that is like a 3D or lenticular cover or something like that. But we didn't have it at the shop. And people have been looking for it. But, yeah, it's it's, it's an ultra-rare one there. It's one of those, like, you know, $100 books. So, yeah, we didn't get that for a second. But anyway, but nonetheless, check it out. Something epic. Uh, one more from Image Comics. The fifth and final issue of Nemesis Reloaded. 
I've had a great time with this book here. Uh, this is kind of a remake of a book that Mark Millar did uh, a few years back. He tried to get the rights going for a movie, and it kind of was in production hell for a while, so nothing ever came to be. But it also kind of prevented him from doing a sequel. So instead, he's done a remake here uh, where we see a character who's on a definite revenge streak against the city of Los Angeles, the mayor, a lot of cops, whatever else, for something in his past. This guy is kind of like an evil version of Batman because he's got tremendous wealth, tremendous resources, He's five steps ahead of everybody. He's almost like the perfect criminal, but he has no problem with guns and murdering people. And, you know, he doesn't care about the peons of the city of Los Angeles. He cares about getting through his murderous wrath. Uh, anywho, I won't spoil how things turn out, but what does happen is we get a heck of a twist ending I was not expecting here. Uh, and what's going to come about is the Millarverse, basically everything Mark Millar has created over the years, is going to have its first ever crossover coming in July. Yes. Um, again, I don't want to spoil if anybody's curious about it how, but one of his oldest properties, a, a series that he wrote a long time ago that has been turned into a film, is going to be crossing over with this book and also crossing over with a lot of other Malarverse titles. So that runs a very large gambit. Your Jupiter Ascending, Huck, Starlight, um, Wanted, uh, gosh, The Kingsman, the list goes on and on. So, yeah, very, very exciting. I'm hyped, yeah. <laughs> I, I, like I said, did not hear about this thing coming up here. They kept it quiet. Uh, until this book came out, but then, yeah, that last page was like, whoa! <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited about that, so should be good stuff there. Anywho, we are going to take a bit of a station break here uh, for comic books for kids, and then we come back, oh, before, forgot, my loot, yes, okay, sorry there, folks, yeah, we have a lot going on here. Uh, this came into the shop, and as you guys know, I am a huge Captain America fan, so I couldn't pass this one up here, but this is Captain America, the classic years, Joe Simon, Jack Kirby here, a beautiful two-volume hardback set here that is basically the first 12 issues of Captain America after they came to Marvel. This, so this is this is basically uh, comics post uh, basically produced after World War II, but still taking place during World War II. But yeah, yeah, two volumes of this here, just fantastic stuff. Just a complete time capsule. So uh, they didn't produce. There's no ads or anything like that. So it's just a reproduction of the stories and the covers and whatever else. And of course, they come this. Very handy-dandy, sturdy slipcase here, too. So, yeah, uh, I saw that come in and said, oh, did, did we get that or you ordered that for somebody? Oh, no, we got that in. Okay, it's going on with me. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't pass that one up. So, nonetheless, all right. So, now we're going to take our station break for comic books for kids. And then when we come back, we are going to spoil the heck out of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So, stay tuned. 
Comic Books for Kids provides comic books to kids in hospitals and cancer centers across the U.S. It's a place where we can all work together to make sure every child has a comic book. 100% of all proceeds go towards the kids. It's about making a difference, and while they're in the hospital, allowing them to fly like a superhero, battle dragons, or rescue teddy bears. We are in every state in the country and now support over 160 hospitals. Every month, we add more. Visit CB4K.org. And we're back. And one other thing I need to tell you guys about here, very important, coming up in two weeks, May 27th, Saturday from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., Creative Overflow. Uh, this is a first-ever convention here. This is a celebration of pop culture artists. Uh, but this is a celebration for all things artists, whether you are uh, a painter, crafter, uh, you know, you do leather work, you're a writer, you're a comic artist, whatever the case may be. It's all art all over the place here. Uh, this is going to be held at the Access Care Community Center on DuPont Road in Louisville. Uh, so $5 admission, 12 and under are free. Like I said, this is from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m., May 27th, Creative Overflow. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, can't wait for this. Uh, next week on the show, uh, I'm going to be having artist and organizer of Creative Overflow, Bill Hood. Uh, so we're going to be talking all things geek and then also talking about uh, Creative Overflow and what it's going to entail. Uh, so I'm looking very forward to that. And we'll, of course, be celebrating a lot of Bill's art as well because, you know, I've got a little bit of that hanging up here. Uh, let's see if we can take this thing down here. So, yeah, yeah basically be... My logo is kind of covering up there, but one of his uh, Predator pieces is over here. Uh, so, yeah. So, Bill's a friend, but uh, yes, also uh, basically putting together this fantastic uh, event. So, yes, looking forward to that. Yes, <laughs> good deal, Dave. I hope so. All right. So, now it's time to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So, yeah. This, I, I, this was definitely a ride uh, that was an emotional journey. Um, it, I, you know, they've put out a lot of PSAs, uh, I've seen for, you know, not really spoiling or anything like that, but basically kind of telling animal lovers or animal parents, this one might be rough folks. So strap in, uh, get your tissues ready because there's, there's going to be some, there, there, there will be some tears shed here. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is definitely a, a goodbye to everybody, but what we also really get is a origin of Rocket Raccoon. We see where he came from, uh, the treacherous, you know, and very, you know, tragic journey he kind of went on to get to where he is kind of in the first movie. Um, and then, of course, where he goes today once we get to the end of the third movie, kind of that whole hero's journey he goes on through all this. But, uh, yeah, we get really kind of his whole journey, where he came from, how he kind of came to be who he came to be. Uh, and it is all of this guy right here, the High Evolutionary, uh, played by, um, hopefully I get this pronunciation right, uh, Chuck Woody Iwuji. Um, we know him definitely from the Peacemaker series, so it's kind of nice getting a little bit of a Peacemaker reunion because we had a cameo appearance from Jennifer Holland, uh, who is now uh, Mrs. James Gunn. But uh, she was in the Peacemaker series, uh, and Chuck Woody was as well. But his performance as the High Evolutionary is fantastic. Um, in my opinion, he's going to go down as one of the best and most hated Marvel villains in the films, just because of 
what he does in the movie, basically torturing animals, uh, doing experiments to get to his perfect blend of uh, animal men, essentially. Um, and, yeah, because, again, that's the whole point of the high evolutionary. He sees something and wants to make it better. That is his whole motivation. But the way he does things is basically essentially he's torturing creatures, whether they be human, alien, animal, doesn't matter. He's not above, you know, going the extra mile to get where he needs to go, whether it hurts the subject or not. Um, it's all about the greater good in his mind. So even, you know, you see kind of, you know, a very strange appearance he has here uh, where almost like his face looks pulled back. There's a reason for that. Uh, but yeah, he himself is just enamored, fixated on improving everything. So you find out that he is responsible for creating multiple races. Uh, he is responsible for the Sovereign, who we knew in the second film. That's Aisha, all the gold people. So he created them. He's basically in charge of the Sovereign, who we meet You know, very early on in the film. We see Aisha once again, and we see our new character here, of Adam Warlock. He was teased at the end of the second film, if you saw one of the end credit scenes. Uh, yeah. A lot of controversy around this guy here. Uh, played by Will Poulter here. Um, a lot of fans were expecting the Adam Warlock we kind of know today, where he is the wise, cosmically aware, super-powered being, uh, holder at one point of the Infinity Gauntlet uh, and the Soul Stone, um, you know, you know, arch enemy of Thanos, whatever the case may be. Everybody was kind of expecting this particular character. And instead, what we get is a very childlike character. He is super powered. That is, you know, that, that is made evident very early on in the film. Uh, but he is definitely super powered, but he is very childlike. Um... It's the whole movie essentially is a learning process for him. So he essentially starts off like a bull in a china shop, and essentially what ends up happening is he's just a big mess. <laughs> so, yeah, it's you know it's a controversial take. Uh, I again didn't have too much of a problem with it because you know what we they come they essentially they call him Adam Warlock, but what we have in the film is him. Him was the original character created in the Fantastic Four, I believe, issue 87. Um, and out of the cocoon, him is the super-powered, perfect golden being, but he has to learn everything. He is a babe in the woods. So, yeah. So, you know, later on, Adam Warlock, and we, of course we get by the end of the film, he does have a bit of a growing process. He suffers some tragedy. You know, Aisha, Aisha his mother does not make it out of the film. Um, so, you know, he goes through a lot of tragedy there. Uh, he sees things killed before him. He kills things. And he doesn't necessarily know how he feels about it. So he, he has to work through a lot of feelings. Um, he also does have a, a friend he basically uh, gets or kind of encounters early on in the movie that's this big brown fuzzy thing. And that also kind of teaches him a little bit more empathy as well. So... Yeah, like I said, a controversial take on him, but I see where they were going, what they were doing with him, and so basically in the hands of another writer and a director, Adam Warlock definitely will evolve a little bit further. He evolved by the time we get to the end of this two-and-a-half-hour film, but he's got a lot more to go. So 
again, we'll see how he turns out here. Got a couple of comments here. So Dave Manley chimes in uh, saying that uh, his favorite Marvel screen villain is still Kilgrave for the movies. Uh, but High Evolutionary is right up there with the best. Yeah, like I said, just throughout the film with the way he tortures uh, Rocket uh, and his friends. We'll get to them in a little bit. Um, and, of course, you see him kind of, you know, manipulating, trying to other things, other races, other creations he makes. And... Yeah, it's just, his methods are terrible. He has zero remorse over it. Uh, very vain sort of character. Uh, he gets extremely indignant when he is challenged. Uh, there's even an instance where Rocket essentially helps him fix a problem uh, early in his experiments because Rocket is much smarter than the High Evolutionary. And this essentially enrages the Evolutionary You know, at a later time when he kind of thinks about this because he's like, you know, I created you, how are you better than me? That sort of mentality. And so, yeah, there's just a lot of reasons to hate this guy. And again, Chuck Woody's performance, he doesn't go over the top. He still stays kind of at a grounded level, even though he's still playing an evil villain. So the performance, everything, again, this is, it's a star-making role for him. So, you know, you know hats off to him. Uh, Dave's got another comment here saying uh, Junior Adam Warlock does not have the wisdom of Solo Man. <laughs> yes, that yeah, this is definitely a, a uh, still. Uh, well, they even said at the beginning of the film he they hatched him out early. He wasn't quite done yet. That is the case. Uh, matter of fact, in the comics, him dies at one point, kind of later on in the Fantastic Four stuff, and then goes back into the cocoon state. And then literally does not come out until the 90s when they bring him back for the Infinity Gauntlet stuff. You know, and then that Adam Warlock is the wise, superpower, cosmic aware, you know, wielder of the Infinity Gauntlet, that sort of thing like that. That Adam Warlock, but he had to hatch for, he had to like, you know, cook for another 20 years in comic time to do that. So, <laughs> yeah, so... Again, not the same, uh, not the same character here. Uh, Dave comments again here, saying that uh, uh, the High Evolutionaries uh, making a perfect world villain speech reminded him, uh, me of the operative from Sen uh, Serenity. Good point. It's been a while since I've seen Serenity, but that was a very good villain speech of his. You know, his whole raison d'etre, his, his you know why he's doing the things the way he's doing it. So, yeah, very very good, interesting. So. Uh, got to show here uh, one of my favorite parts of the movie uh, is the uniforms that we see here for the Guardians so they finally got you know of course we saw it in the Christmas episode uh, they are based on nowhere so they have a home base it's you know there's a town there is a community of other people basically from all around the galaxy we see even some familiar faces the jeweler from the first movie where Star-Lord is basically kind of using him as the fence for the you know uh when he basically the, the orb that essentially is holding the power gem, you know that guy with kind of like the weird looking mohawk thingies. We see him back. We see you know a lot of other aliens and other familiar faces, kind of background from around the movies, and from the Christmas special as well. So you know we're getting a more organized group here at the end. Like I said, we everybody gets uniforms, and what I love is these are the uniforms from the Dan Abnett Andy Lanning run of Guardians, kind of in the. Uh, very late 90s throughout the 2000s 
that essentially most of these movies that were taken from, especially this lineup of the Guardians, you know, involving Drax and Groot and Rocket and kind of Star Lord bringing him out of obscurity, uh, that is all from the DNA run of the book. And so these uniforms are right out of that run. So yeah, I love seeing that. Uh, and then, you know, we get to see a little bit of changes here. Uh, Craglin, you know, played by Sean Gunn, uh, is still working through the arrow, you know, still working, you know, you know, Yondu handed it down to him after he passed, still working on trying to, you know, fix this thing and, you know, or kind of get it working for him, being able to use it in a fight effectively, still practicing, uh, Nebula gets stabbed in the chest with it and she unflinchingly just tears it right out and, you know, it, it, I don't even think it like fully punctures, just, it was, it's stuck in enough just to stick, but yeah, just if, you know, a lot of comedy kind of, you know, we get a little bit of a blend of good darkness and comedy because things start off with a very early part of Rocket's origin and then we kind of, you know, get into the present day, everybody's in nowhere and we kind of see the state of everybody's in, even though Peter is kind of a drunken mess, still mourning of the loss of Gamora and then also mourning the fact that his girlfriend came back from the dead, essentially, but it's a earlier version of Gamora before she became a member of the Guardians, got to know everybody, fell in love with Peter. So this is a much different, angrier, and confused version because she's confused, essentially, why this guy is trying to tell me how much I supposedly love him and I don't even know him. So... Anywho, uh, Drax is somewhat in the same state he's been in for the, you know, the last couple of movies, but we definitely see a much more blossoming relationship between he and Mantis, definitely a father-daughter sort of thing, um, which has been a lot of fun. Drax definitely leans into more of the, you know, he's kind of getting older, uh, especially when we jump ahead to the, towards the end of the film, where we find there's a bunch of, like, children that have been taken by the high evolutionary or maybe even created by them we're not 100 percent sure yet uh but basically all the kids that have the white they, they have this like village of the damned look where they all have this like stark white hair uh maybe even some of them have abilities one definitely does uh but nonetheless we get you know we get to see Drax kind of take on a fatherly role, helping these kids out, being able to communicate with him because apparently Drax knows multiple languages. That was, that was a buried lead there. So we do get to see kind of, you know, a nice, you know, a few blossoming moments of Drax with some character growth, but also kind of with a, a nice cap off of things for him as well. Uh, Nebula has a lot of growth. Of course she gets a new arm. We get to see that in action a lot here. Uh, yeah. Let's see. I got a picture of that. Yeah, the, the basically kind of like a nano arm where it can essentially turn into a lot of different weapons and tools and whatever else. So she's got this like wicked cannon and things turns into. But yeah, so the indestructible uh, cyborg here now has a nano arm that can be multiple things. So that's fun. <laughs> uh, we get to see a lot of growth from uh, Nebula, a lot of, you know, warming up, uh, especially, you know, because of course our main impetus throughout the film uh, we get, like I said, we talked a lot about the origin of Rocket, but also early on in the film, uh, Adam Warlock finds nowhere and essentially he's been tasked with getting Rocket and bringing him back to the High Evolutionary because that's some proprietary 
uh, property of his, and he wants it back because uh, basically it's been gone for a while and needs to be back here. Uh, and what happens is they get in a fight. Rocket gets uh, mortally injured and put into a coma. And then in the basically when they're trying to treat him, find out that there's this device that's on his heart that's a, like a kill switch essentially. And because he is proprietary property, he has to have a specific code to take, you know, to basically to disengage this kill switch so we can treat him. So instead, Rocket is basically in a coma for a majority of the movie. And while he's in the coma state, we get to see kind of Im flashbacks, images from his past, more stories fleshing things out there. Uh, and in doing so, uh, we get basically kind of one of the more heartbreaking uh, moments, you know, because we get, you know, we see Rocket in kind of an earlier stage, you know, his basically his first words he ever speaks are uh, hurts. So I mean, just you know, it's you know, it's, like I said, it's a heartbreaking you know scene of you know kind of seeing some things that happens, some experiments, basically some experiments that happen to Rocket that basically allow him to be super smart, allow him to talk, uh, but yeah, at a, at, a, at a great cost, nonetheless. Uh, but while Rocket's in captivity, he meets three other friends. Uh, Lila, who basically is kind of like an otter, but it has been experimented on and has like robot arms. Uh, Tiefs, who's a walrus in some sort of like wheelchair-esque device. Uh, and then Floor, who is a cute little bunny, but then has uh, spider legs and then some sort of like metal thing going across her mouth that allows her to speak, but basically kind of gives her a very horrifying, almost like the, you know, the broken toys in Toy Story, you know, have a very twisted look to them. That's So she's this great juxtaposition of this cute little bunny, she has a cute little voice, and just a sweet little innocent thing, but then her appearance is completely horrifying. Uh, but nonetheless, these are the friends that Rocket makes. Uh, they all have plans that basically once they get to go to counter-Earth, they get to see, you know, they get to go see the sky, they're not in cages anymore, they have this wonderful life about them. Uh, but then basically, as the movie moves on, Rocket essentially enrages the high evolutionary because he, you know, is smarter than him, fixes his problems for him, but this embarrasses the evolutionary. And so Rocket essentially finds out the plans the evolutionary has that, you know, he's got all these perfect beings that he's created that are a blend of animal and human. He wants to put them on this planet he's created for them called Counter Earth, which essentially is Earth, but it's filled with these animal people. Uh, but there's no place for Batch 89, which is Rocket and his friends. Uh, so they're all to be essentially terminated. Uh, so Rocket, in true Rocket fashion, has been stealing parts. He basically makes a device that is able to uh, fake a card reader, bust all of his friends out, they get out, but then guards show up, uh, and one by one, Rocket sees his friends get killed. Uh, this is definitely one of the hardest scenes in the movie. Um, yeah, just absolutely tragic because you get to know these guys. They're lovable. They're very cute. And then, you know, in this very brutal scene, they're just gunned down. Uh, Rocket, of course, takes revenge on them uh, and then does attack the High Evolutionary for this. Um, and what ends up happening is you basically, you don't see 
how bad the wounds are, but you can tell that Rocket just goes completely ham on the High Evolutionaries, you know, tearing at his face. Um, and then later on, we do find out that uh, the appearance of the High Evolutionary, as I point out, this weird stretch marks, it kind of looks like he just is a reject from the Terry Gilliam Bra uh, movie Brazil. Uh, he's had some kind of weird face uh, facelift here, but that is a mask because I'm not going to reveal, but uh, his face is a horrific, kind of very Red Skull-esque appearance. Uh, if the Red Skull also got really messed up. Uh, so, yeah, Rocket took a, bit, a lot of revenge on the High Evolutionary's face, and so he had to repair a lot of damage to himself uh, to make him look better than he was then. But nonetheless, uh, we kind of, you know, uh, a lot of other things we get to in the movie. Um, Peter and Gamora's relationship, uh, we see Peter definitely still kind of pushing the we're boyfriend, girlfriend, you, I love you, you know, your death was a terrible thing to me, but it's even more messed up that you're back. Uh, that sort of thing, you know, and then Gamora's just completely, she's basically at this point in the movie hanging out with the Ravagers. She reluctantly has to go with the Guardians on this mission here uh, to help save Rocket and basically, you know, get this, uh, basically get this code to deactivate the kill switch to save their friend. Um, and on the way, she does learn to kind of, you know, you know, like the Guardians, to kind of get to know them, you know, to not be so angry with them, but the still relationship is not there. We do finally get to see a little maturity coming from Peter. Uh, he does openly admit that, uh, yes, he did lose his temper and almost kill the galaxy by punching Thanos uh, in Infinity War, so his bad. <laughs> uh, and then... By the end of the film, he accepts the fact that this is not his Gamora. He's glad that Gamora is still alive. Uh, maybe one day, you know, I don't know. You know, but uh, he comes to the terms that this is not his girl. And so, you know, she goes back to her her family, which is the Ravagers. Uh, so we get to see Stallone come back as a Starhawk. Um, we get to see... Uh, basically the Sorcerer Supreme of the 31st century, which is the Red Dragon-y sort of thing like that, which is very cool. Uh, Michael Rosenbaum comes back as uh, Martin X. So um, Miley Cyrus did not come back as the computer voice, but uh, she was replaced by Tara Strong, so a classic uh, voiceover actress there. Uh, so, yeah, I had no problem with that. But, you know, so we get to see, you know, at least a little bit of growth from Peter. Uh, but the interesting thing is that uh, wrapping things up for the movie here, uh, Drax and Nebula stay on Nowhere. Drax has got a bunch of these refugee kids now and other people. He's going to kind of take this, you know, fatherly, you know, kind of role sort of thing like that. So he's going to stay, not, you know, go gallivanting around the galaxy anymore. Nebula's going to stay too. Uh, Gamora goes back with the Ravagers. Peter decides to go home. Because he's like, you know what? I haven't been on Earth since I left. And, and, you know, of course, there was the whole Infinity Gauntlet thing. But he hasn't been basically home to where he grew up. Uh, you know, it's, it's essentially, you know, he was abducted by Yondu uh, when he was a child. So he does find out that his grandfather is still alive. So he essentially, at the end of the film, goes back home and is reunited with his grandfather, who's basically been waiting the whole time. He's, I think he has, I don't 
know if that woman who answered the door was like his wife or like a home care nurse. They didn't quite make that plain. Uh, but nonetheless, he's got at least companionship there at the home with him. But there's a lot of pictures on the wall. You see that basically he's still been holding a candle waiting for his grandson to return. So it's a lovely reunion. Uh, so Peter's going to stay on Earth for a while. So, And of course, there's a little bit more to that. We'll get to that in just a sec here. So, uh, Oh, and Dave uh, Magley chiming in saying that uh, he didn't realize that Tara Strong was the new mainframe voice. Yes, thank you, mainframe. I, I couldn't remember who, what her name was there. Uh, but yeah, so there you go. It was Tara Strong. So who also did the voice for Miss Minutes for the uh, Loki series. So, and of course, she's done a lot of uh, DC voiceovers as well. So, yeah. I think she's been a later, she was not the original Harley Quinn, but she's been a later Harley Quinn. So, uh, yeah, she's done lots of other great voiceover work. Uh, Dave also chimes in saying that, uh, like they said on the Hero Movie podcast, it's easy to forget that three of the Guardians in the final scene aren't even there. They're just CG. Yeah, let's actually get to that. So, um, as we're, of course, wrapping up here, uh, Groot, Rocket, uh, Kraglin, Cosmo um, uh, are still on the team. They are joined by Adam Warlock. And then one of the refugees, uh, apparently she has powers and is more than likely uh, Philovel, who is kind of a later Captain Marvel, uh, I guess, legacy character. She has, she, she's the protector of the universe, has the cosmic power, sort of thing like that. Uh, but yeah, she's got white hair. Uh, so maybe we're kind of laying the groundwork to future Guardians there, but yeah, like I said, we get to the last scene there, and basically there's only like a couple of humans and everybody else is CG, so uh, yeah, so we shall see, but uh, I love the fact that we got a lot more Cosmo in this movie, uh, the interplay between her and Kraglin, the whole, uh, you know, basically Kraglin called her a bad dog, and then so the whole thing, I mean, it's like we have a... Essentially, this is kind of like the uh, uh, Lakia uh, story here. So we have a Russian cosmonaut dog who was sent off into space and never returned. We don't know what happened to her. Uh, but apparently she must have passed through some cosmic waves that made her super smart to the point where she is telepathic and telekinetic. She can move things with her mind. And we find out in the movie she's very strong, too. She can basically move an entire spaceship and kind of hold it in place to get all the, you know, people you know, off the ship and onto nowhere, uh, you know, so she gets, a, she gets a couple of really big scenes, but the fun interplay, and then finally, you know, she does good things there, you know, and Craglin can't help but call her a good dog, and then, you know, of course, all dogs want to be loved, want to be praised, and so Cosmo is no different. And I love it, too, that basically she knows English, but she speaks with a broken Russian accent. So just, you know, but I, I've loved Cosmo since the DNA run of the book, uh, the uh, Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning. Uh, so yeah, she's been a favorite character, and she's the chief of security of uh, Nowhere. So there you go. <laughs> so yeah, just absolutely love it. Uh, but uh, yes, yeah, so like I said, we get to see a lot of growth there. Um, we uh, Mantis is interesting because we do get a lot more from her, a lot more creative uses. She's kind of learning more about her powers. Uh, we get some interesting scenes of you know, basically her using a guard and basically making this poor guard go through a number of emotions to tell, essentially take out the other guards. But so, you know, so she's definitely using it more creatively and in combat uh, and whatever else. But uh, finally, we get to kind of the uh, 
conclusion of the movie where you know she realizes she kind of needs to go off on her own kind of a journey of self-discovery uh, of course while uh, she and Drax and a few of the other Guardians are locked up in the High Evolutionary ship. They come across these giant creatures that kind of looks like something out of an H.P. Lovecraft nightmare. Uh, they're all mouth and tentacles, essentially. There's these big creatures, whatever else. Well, you know, basically Mantis, using her uh, uh, basically emotional powers, is able to calm them and realize, oh, these are just other... They're, they're, they're scared creatures. They don't even eat people. They eat batteries. So... Now this cute little Mantis character has befriended these three giant monster things. They just kind of follow her around like puppy dogs. So <laughs> Mantis is going to go on this journey of self-discovery with these three giant creatures with her. So she's going to be fine. <laughs> uh, but we get some great uh, combat scenes here. Uh, we get a couple of awesome uh, fight scenes with the Guardians all teaming together. Uh, kind of some nice slow-mo camera stuff here. So we get to, you know... You know, everybody kind of get to work together, get their big fight moments in too. Uh, and Groot uh, goes through a lot of changes. Uh, we see uh, a physical change with him being much, you know, getting almost closer to the height he was in the first film. Uh, but he's way more buff. Like he's he's fortified now. You know, with the uh, you know vitamins and iron. I guess I don't know, but <laughs> nonetheless. Uh, but also we get to see uh, basically he's good for hiding guns. Uh, because he scans as a biological, but underneath his plates of tree bark and roots and whatever else, he can hide weaponry. So there you go. So he uh, hides a couple of Peter's guns and then uh, hides four guns for himself. So, he, so that was a fun thing there. But of course, we get some this great uh, scene uh, shot here, as you can see, with Rocket once again riding shotgun on Groot's shoulders, firing away while Groot's fighting stuff here. So this is one of the big fight scenes I'm talking about towards the end, once Rocket gets better. Uh, and yeah, so we do, we do get some great interplay between Rocket and Groot. Uh, but yeah, like I said, definitely a much more buff Groot. Um, we also see a, a great escape uh, scene uh, where Groot sprouts wings. So yeah, interesting stuff here. But uh, as Dave kind of pointed out, uh, in a scene, you know, uh, late in the movie, uh, where kind of the Guardians are kind of saying their goodbyes, all kind of appreciating each other, whatever else. Uh, interestingly enough, kind of one of the kind of running bars in the whole series, the whole, whole thing in the movie, is this other Gamora doesn't understand Groot. She just hears, I am Groot, I am Groot, doesn't understand her, him like the others do. By the time we get to the end of the movie, she understood what he said. And so she kind of, you realize that, you know, you kind of get to know them, get to see his thing more. And so uh, James Gunn kind of gives the audience a gift because like one of the last lines spoken in the movie, Groot says, I love you guys. And so we're like, oh, you kind of, you know, it's a tender moment, a wonderful moment. You're kind of wondering yourself, oh, well, is, you know, Groot now speak English? No, that's the audience hanging around Groot long enough to be able to understand him. So that was James Gunn's little gift to his audience there that we get to hang around these guys long enough that we finally get to understand Groot. So, yeah. I love that. Yeah, so, yeah. Dave, you know, Manningly chimed in there too. Yeah, so we, the audience, finally get to... It, that makes me almost makes me a little teary-eyed. But, yeah. So it's like, right there at the end, we get to be part of the team. So, I love that. Uh, Dave saying that uh, these creatures were the same as the giant pink shark to 
Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I thought I recognized them. Yeah, so right at the beginning of the Guardians too, where they're fighting these things. Yeah, they eat batteries. So it's those things. Okay, okay. So, yeah. Thanks for the save. I was about to tear up. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so just like I said, I, I really, really enjoyed the movie here. Um, and interestingly enough, we did not lose a Guardian. We got faked out with Rocket being mortally wounded and being in a coma for most of the movie. We get faked out by the end of the movie where Peter, you know, where everybody's trying to escape High Evolutionary ship. Peter goes back on the ship for the Zune. And we find out later why. Uh, and when he does, we get a fake out like in part two where he's out in space uh, without a mask. Uh, without any sort of, you know, space suit or whatever else. And so he's freezing up. He's dying. And even to the point where his face starts getting bloated up. So like, oh my God, you know, it's like, we're going to, we're going to lose Peter right here. And nope, we fake it out. We were able to bring him back and save him, uh, at the last minute, you know, but yeah, it's, it's a tender way that it's, that it's done. But yeah, we, like I said, we, we get faked out. We think we're going to lose a guard. We, we essentially get faked out by almost every member, you know, like we almost think Drax dies. Yeah. I'll show you this shot here. We're basically, you know, uh, Mantis and Gamora holding him. Yeah, he gets shot like point blank in the chest. But oh, okay. Well, it's just you know, he's he's wounded, but he's he's not dead. So, <laughs> so it's you know, like I said, we we get a lot of you know moments where we're we're, we're worried about all the guardians at one point, but we don't lose a one. Uh, so everybody kind of gets their own little happy ending. So uh, at this point in the movie, you know, uh, Rocket's captain of the team. He's in charge. He's now got the Zune. Uh, Peter saved it for him. Uh, and interestingly enough, we kind of get a little bit of, you know, some uh, some 80s rock. We start going into the 90s with our songs. Uh, but then the last song that's played is uh, uh, Florence the Machine's Dog Days Are Over because Rocket goes to the 2000s. And that's the first song he picks. So there you go. So it kind of, you know, caps off, you know, we get, we get a, you know, a 70s to the 2000s uh, playlist there. So... Uh, but not sure if there's any particular meaning to that one or if it just kind of just, you know, the obvious, you know, you know, dog days are over. Everything's good for everybody for the most part, I guess, for now. So I guess until the next universe uh, threatening event. Uh, but, you know, there you go. So, uh, yeah, as I said, we're just, you know, I, I enjoyed the film. It was a, it was a nice goodbye. It was very emotional. Uh, like I said, some tough scenes uh, with, you know, basically anything, you know, involving any animals being harmed. But, uh, fortunately, all these animals are CG. Uh, PETA even came so far, uh, went so far as to uh, compliment the film for showing kind of, you know, I'm not sure how accurate, but at least, you know, emotionally, you know, what it's like to kind of see, you know, animals being tortured and whatever else. So, yeah, so it, it, at least, you know, there was some good was made out of that. Oh, yes. And of course, we did get a reprise of Come and Get Your Love. Yeah, I can't ever forget that one, Dave. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and of course there, there's, uh, uh, Dave sent me a great message right before the show here, reminding me that it's not a trap. It's just a face off. <laughs> so, and, and <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great joke. And of course the picture follows the high evolutionary with his face off and that's still a gross face. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we do get two cutscenes uh, when we get to the end of the movie here. Uh, first one showing our new Guardians team. They're on a planet where these weird insect kind of things are uh, terrorizing 
the people of this planet or maybe in a certain town and the Guardians are all just kind of just sitting around talking about what their favorite songs are while they're waiting for these things to come into range and then just opening fire on them. So the, the, the gang's all there, uh, you know, doing their thing once again. Uh, Craglin finally gets to learn how to use the arrow just like Yondu did. Even almost kind of we get a little bit of a, a brief uh, Michael Rooker cameo uh, where, you know, he kind of just like an Obi-Wan sort of thing like that. You know, use your feelings, boy, you know, sort of thing like that. So, yeah, we get a little, a little fun there. So, um, and then uh, the other scene we get uh, is Pete just hanging around the breakfast table and talking about the neighbor and his loser son who won't mow the lawn. So, uh, but then we do get the tease, the legendary Star-Lord will return. So, I'm curious what that means. Um, will we see Chris Pratt return to the role? He's kind of been a little not sure. Yeah, I was like, you know, Dave Bautista certainly said, yeah, this is the last ride for me. Uh, I love Drax. Drax made my career. Thank you very much. But yeah, I'm going to move on to other things. Uh, Zoe Saldana has kind of said, no, this is it for me too. Bradley Cooper has said that he wants to basically, you know, direct, you know, write movies. Uh, as opposed to being in other people's movies and whatnot. So whether or not he comes back to voice Rocket, I don't know. But somebody very easily could, you know, read, you know, do the Rocket voice, and so we're good there. Um, so, yeah, remains to be seen from there. Same goes for Groot. You know, we don't necessarily need Vin Diesel. That voice can be done probably by somebody else or, you know, whatever else. I don't know. So either way, there, there could be, you know, lots of things there. But... For how Star Lord comes back, you know, uh, we got a couple of big Avengers movies coming up in uh, 2025 and 26, respectively, so we could see him there. Um, also, that particular title of the legendary Star Lord does ring to a brief series where Star Lord was grounded on Earth, was not going around the galaxy, did not have the other Guardians with him. And he had some adventures on Earth. Did interact with some other superheroes. Kitty Pride. Uh, so whether we're going to see some of that, don't know. But yeah, so there, there's there's a lot of implications what that can mean. So you know, so but uh, an interesting point too is that I didn't kind of realize this until while watching the film initially. Um, we never saw the Star Lord mask through the entire movie. He did not wear it at all. Uh, he also didn't have his little, like, uh, jetpack thingies either. So, I guess, I don't know, he just decided he wasn't going to fly. So, uh, you know, he flew in ships and, you know, flew in spacesuits. Uh, but, yeah, did not, uh, yeah, didn't, didn't wear the traditional Star-Lord mask. So, don't know about that. Uh, Dave's got a couple of his favorite songs from the movie there. Uh, Crazy on You by Heart, yeah, and The Thus, This Is The Day. So... Yep, that was, of course, anytime I hear this is the day, I just think Empire Records, so, <laughs> but, yeah, so, there was, there was a lot of good songs there, I, I was partial to uh, Rainbow's uh, cover of Since You've Been Gone, so, yeah, good old Russ Ballard tune there, so, yeah, I, I, I dug all that stuff there, but, yeah, I, I enjoyed uh, Space Hog, yeah, I was glad in the meantime, got a good uh, thing there, uh, even uh, Radiohead got a bit of a shout out, because uh, not only did Creep get in played in the song, but they played the acoustic version, which is even the slower, far more depressing. So it kind of almost sets a good tone for the beginning of the movie. Uh, but yeah, so that was, yeah, good, good playlist there. Enjoyed all that stuff. But yeah, so like I said, I'm just <clears throat> very curious to see 
you know, the Guardians can certainly return. Uh, whether or not James Gunn will be at the helm, probably not, seeing as he's going to be busy over at DC for a while. So we could see the Guardians in other hands. Um, whether they see you know a, a new director take on, or whether he's somebody that Marvel's worked with before uh, could work. You know that you know that's kind of toss up and you know up to opinion there. Uh, but yeah, like I said, the, you know the Guardians, much like the Avengers, can certainly come back with a new roster because the Guardians roster has changed so much over the years. I mean, we haven't even seen hardly any of the uh, members of the original Guardians from the 1970s run in the book. Uh, you know the character that uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone plays, St uh, Stakar, or Starhawk, uh, very different version than what he is in the comics. Uh, but that's one of them. Uh, Ving Rhames played Charlie 27. We saw him briefly in the second volume. We didn't see him in this one. Uh, so there's a couple of you know characters from the original run. Even Yondu was part of the original Guardians, even though the Michael Rooker version of Yondu is much different. Uh, basically, Yondu in the book is much more kind of the uh, noble warrior, almost kind of a uh, uh, kind of like a Native American sort of feel to him, because he does use the bow and the single arrow, and he uses you know basically uses the whistle and it does all the things it does there. But yeah, he's much more of a spiritual warrior sort of thing like that, um, much more of a primitive race that he comes from of warriors, and they live in caves and have ceremonial weaponry. And a lot of ceremony themselves about, you know, coming of age and certain, you know, stages and passages that, you know, people go through in their lives. So all sorts of stuff there. So basically that Yondu is way different than what we see in the movies. Uh, but there's a few other members that we didn't get to see, didn't get to see them in the original form. So we can see some of that. We can see other members of the Guardians from the DNA run in the 2000s that we didn't get to see, like Nova, uh, Bug possibly from the Micronauts. You know, if they ever get the rights to that sort of thing like that. Philavelle, when she grows up. Um, even Moondragon, who is a, initially an Avenger in the books, but then eventually, you know, she becomes a Guardian. So, and is also the biological daughter of Drax, the Destroyer, in the comics. Uh, so, you know, there may be something there. So, yeah, either way. So, there's a lot of possibilities of how we can bring the Guardians back in different ways uh, and see how they've grown from there. Or even... I said, one day Pratt may return to the role for Star-Lord. So, you know, or we just have somebody else in the mask and <laughs> we never see their face. I don't know, either way. So, uh, but yeah, like I said, overall, I enjoyed the film. Um, I saw where they made some changes. Didn't really have any problems with them, but I know there's a lot of folks who have basically been crying foul over how Adam Warlock is in the movie. It's, oh, it's not the way he's... Like. Yes, he's not the Infinity Gauntlet Adam Warlock. He's the earlier version of it. So... Check out some of his stuff in Fantastic Four before we get to him in the 90s, and you'll see a very different character there. So, and maybe a little more similar than how he is in the movie. Um, High Evolutionary, I thought he was great. Um, they kept most of his look, even though he doesn't have the, the fancy helmet that basically covers his face, but kind of like his face is the helmet itself. So, um, and interestingly enough, you know, High Evolutionary goes down with the ship. Like the Guardians don't like outright kill him. But they leave him pretty badly wounded, and he's on the ship, and the ship does blow up. But much like Hela and Surtur in For Ragnarok, didn't see a body. So we could possibly bring this villain back, much like them, if we want to in some way, shape, or form. So, yeah, we'll see. But like I said, overall, I enjoyed this one. This is definitely one of the better 
uh, Marvel films of this particular phase, or like basically like the last. This is kind of starting a new phase, so of Phase Four, I should say. Definitely a much better film there. Um, like I said, just you know, it, I can't say I love it. It's not my favorite of the Guardians films. I think it's still going to be the first. Uh, but this was you know a nice cap to things. I liked how they ended things out, and you know, kind of gave us a you know glimpse for the future. So. Yeah, uh, I certainly want to know what you guys think here. Uh, we've already had a, you know, several comments already. But yeah, I want to know what you guys think, uh, what your take was on the film. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Uh, did you have any problems with it? Or you know, did you kind of accept how the things are changing? Uh, so yeah, I'm very curious to see what you guys think about that. So uh, we're going to wrap things up for this week. Uh, of course, once again, got to plug the Creative Overload once again uh, coming up on May 27th. 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. at the Access Care Community Center on DuPont Road in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, admissions $5 per person. Uh, if they're 12 and under, they get in free. So there you go. Uh, this is a convention by artists for artists. So this basically celebrates uh, people from, uh, from Louisville, from around the region, uh, Southern Indiana, uh, other places around. Uh, this is them selling their wares. Uh, directly to you, so you're buying from them, you're supporting local art, uh, and this is art in all forms. You're going to get, you know, crafts, you're going to get paintings, there's uh, authors there, uh, artists, uh, you know, doing comic art, doing, you know, more fancy stuff, or, or even, you know, you know, craft art, you know, uh, leatherworking, you know, all sorts of things there. So, God knows what it is. We're going to find out a lot more next week on the Fanatic Forum when I have uh, artist and organizer Bill Hood on. Uh, so basically, we'll talk all things geek. Uh, then, of course, we're going to definitely talk a lot about Creative Overload and what to expect on there. So for that, I will leave you. And you guys have yourselves a wonderful weekend. And I'll see you guys next time on the Fanatic Forum. Take care.